Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our next-gen pastor, Myron Jellison, for this week's message. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I'm so glad you're tuning in wherever you're tuning in from. Uh, Pumped that you're with us. And uh, we are on a journey with Jesus. We are going through the entire book of Mark, the entire gospel of Mark, and we're going to really dive in to see who this Jesus guy really is. And Chris kind of premised this whole series with the book of Mark is going to push us in two directions. Either you're going to discover who Jesus is and he's going to become Lord of your life and you're going to make that decision, or you're going to put, put him in the category of just a lunatic, liar, crazy, but he's a good teacher and a prophet, and you're not going to make him Lord of your life. Like That's the decision point that we're all going to have to come to, and the book of Mark is going to push us into making that decision, and it's going to be a great ride, and I'm pumped you're with us. And, and today, we're going to look at five verses uh, in the book of Mark, five small little verses, but there's so much packed in it. It's like this. You ever heard the phrase, don't blink and you'll miss it? Maybe that's like the hometown that you grew up in that's got the one stop sign and you're telling your friends, oh yeah, you're going to be traveling through my hometown. Don't blink or you'll miss it because it's that small. We know this phrase, like especially with your your kids growing up, people have been telling me, I got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, like, hey, don't blink or you're going to miss it. Like don't blink and then those kids are going to be grown up in high school or going off to college. So don't blink or you'll miss it. Five verses today we're going to look at and there's so much in there. And if you did the challenge uh, that Chris gave to read the whole entire book of Mark, I bet you read these five verses early on and just kind of went right over them, didn't think too much about them. There wasn't a whole lot of significance because Mark, he, he put so much into these five verses that all the other gospels, like the other three gospels, kind of unpack in a little more detail. But Mark flies through it. He says it because it's important, but then he wants to get on to other stuff. So I want to hit the pause button on these five verses. And we're going to be in Mark chapter one. So if you got your Bibles, I encourage you to open up the, the uh, open up the Bible, open up your Bible. And if you have a mobile device or an electronic device, you can get there as well. Mark one, and we'll start in verse nine and we'll go through verse 13. And uh, I want to read it and then we'll stop and unpack it. Here we go. Verse nine, at the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. These five verses, so much. Let's dive in. First one. Jesus comes from Galilee. At this time, he's coming from Galilee and he's gonna get baptized by John the Baptist. Last week, Chris was talking about this guy, John the Baptist, and how he was preparing the way. And he was telling all these people, getting them ready for the Messiah. And John is now saying, look, there is the Messiah. There is the Lamb of God, the the Son of God that's gonna take away the sins of the world. And he's like, look, there he is, there he is. Jesus shows up and he shows up where John is and he goes to the Jordan River where John is and he gets, this is how I vision it. He gets in the water with John. He's like, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, ho, 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 hold up. Like, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals, 
let alone baptize you. And Jesus is like, no, bro, just do it. Like, you need to baptize me. John's like, no, no, you need to baptize me, Jesus. And they probably go back and forth. No, you baptize me. No, you baptize me. No, you baptize me. Finally, Jesus wins. This is what Jesus says. If if you go read the other account in Matthew, where they kind of have that conversation and uh, it unpacks a little bit more. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus replies to John and says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consents and will end up baptizing Jesus. But Jesus says, we have to do this, John, to fulfill all righteousness. So the first significant thing we see in these five verses is that Jesus gets baptized. And you might be thinking, and I was thinking too, like, why did Jesus have to get baptized? Like he was perfect. He was sinless. He's the son of God. He's not really like a human, right? So why did he have to go through baptism? And more specifically, John's baptism, right? Because last week, Chris talked about John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. and, And that baptism of repentance is so that the people could be forgiven, You see, because there was a whole diverse people coming out to John that Chris talked about last week. You had the Pharisees and the religious leaders. You had tax collectors. You had Roman soldiers. Whole diverse group coming out. And John is saying, you need to repent. Because the people, were the Jewish people in particular, were like, well, I'm, I'm from the line of Abraham. I'm part of God's chosen people. So like, I'm good. And then they go live however they want to live and thinking that their granddaddy's faith or who their family is, is what's going to get them right with God. And John's saying, no, get baptized, repent and have this baptism of repentance to prepare yourself for the Messiah who's coming, who can take away your sins. So if that's what the baptism was that John was doing, Jesus didn't have to repent. He was perfect. He was sinless. He's the son of God. So why did he have to go into the waters of baptism and be baptized by John? A couple of things, I think, or that we know. The first one is he wanted to affirm John the Baptist's ministry because John was doing incredible work. He was the prophet that was paving the way. So Jesus getting baptized just clarifies and identifies that John is who he says that he was and that his baptism is good and God honoring. And so you should be doing it. And so that's why he got baptized to affirm John. Another thing that's really cool is that uh, the priestly line who, who were in charge of taking the animal sacrifices that were required for God's people to be right with him, the priestly line would prepare and get the sacrifice ready. And typically there was a washing of the animal before they would sacrifice the animal. And, and John the Baptist's father was Zechariah, and Zechariah is in the family line from Aaron, which traces all the way back to Moses and God's people. And it's incredible to see that John coming through the priestly line, a preacher's kid, who would be preparing the sacrifice is preparing Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God in this baptism. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And the third reason I think that Jesus gets baptized is because he wanted to identify with us as sinners. And he also wanted to fulfill all righteousness, as we just saw in Matthew 3, that that he's saying, uh, John, it's good for us to do this because it's going to fulfill all righteousness. I'm being obedient to God. John, I'm being obedient to God and getting baptized because that's what he wants me to do. And he wants me to model it for you. He wants me to model it for every single person, every single human on the face of the planet. Jesus is basically saying no more excuses. He's leaving no room for excuses. If you've never been baptized, you need to get baptized. 
And I know that COVID and the pandemic have kind of disrupted our ability to do that. But, but the next chance that you get, no more excuses. Jesus is saying, I didn't need to, but I did. To identify with you humanity, to show you my humanity, to honor God and be obedient to God. And you need to do the same thing. It's that important and that big of a deal. So Jesus gets baptized. And what's really cool is after Jesus fulfills his purpose of going to the cross, dying, and then and, and going to the tomb and being resurrected and coming back to life, that's what baptism is for us today. It's not John's baptism. It is now our baptism because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And here's the beautiful picture of our baptism today, Christian baptism, is that it is a picture of us dying and going into the water in, in Christ's death and then coming up out of the water, being made new in his resurrection. It's beautiful. And that's exactly what it is. It's a public statement. It's a public declaration of your faith, of your decision that you've made, that you are going into the waters to identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The old is gone, the new has come. You've been made new. And that's exactly what baptism is for you and I today. And that's why Jesus modeled it, to fulfill all righteousness, to be obedient to God and say, you need to do this. And that's why Jesus gave the great commission and he included baptism in the great commission. He said, go into all the world, every nation, preach the gospel, baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Baptism is part of that great command that he gave the early church, which is again, the command that is for you and I and the modern day church. So you need to get baptized if you've never been baptized. And Jesus got baptized really, and this is important, to identify with you and I, to show off his humanity, to show that he was fully human and he wanted to show us the right way to live, the right thing to do to be in a right relationship with God and that's to get baptism. That's the first significant thing we see is Jesus gets baptized. The second thing is we see Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And verse 10, it says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. We see this incredible picture of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to where God the Father is broken open heaven and speaking down and saying, I love you, my son, I'm pleased with you. The Holy Spirit is descending on Jesus like a dove. And then you've got the Son of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit and the Father. It's just beautiful picture of the triune God intersecting humanity, intersecting our world. It's beautiful, it's powerful. And here's what's really cool about Jesus being uh, supernaturally manifested with the Spirit. This, this is going to prepare Jesus to be able to go and do what he's being asked and called to do to fulfill the will of God. He's about ready to embark on a three-year ministry doing healings and miracles, preaching and teaching and telling people to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's doing all these mighty miracles and wonders, proving that he is the Messiah and, and letting people know, hey, God is real. He's with you. He's for you. He loves you. And I'm here to show you that. And I'm the redemption plan for you and I. That's what this moment is all about. And here's what's really cool. This shows off Jesus's humanity even more because think about it. Jesus set aside his divinity. He set aside his divinity when he decided, that, when, when, he was, when, he, when he decided to come to earth through the virgin birth and live a sinless life and be blameless and spotless and perfect. 
And then he's gonna be tempted in the desert, which we'll get to in a minute, which shows off his humanity. He had a fully human experience. He had to prove to you and I that he was fully human. And the reason he had to prove to you and I and humanity that he's fully human, because that makes him the only qualified human to then pay the price for your sin on the cross. Because if he wasn't fully human, God wouldn't be able to accept that sacrifice because for the wages of sin is death for you and I, for humanity. And so a human had to pay that, but only the perfect human, only the human who was sinless and perfect and blameless and spotless would God recognize as the qualified person to be able to pay the price for you and I. And so Jesus is showing off his humanity through the virgin birth, through his sinless life, through being tempted, that he's been a full, he's had a full human experience. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit manifests on him in a way in which gives him the supernatural power and ability to then begin his ministry and do miracles and wonders and letting people know the kingdom of God is here. Repent, follow me, put your faith and trust in Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit changes everything about the way you and I have a relationship with God. It changes everything. And Jesus says, this is a good thing. He says, it's a good thing. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in John, the gospel of John 16 and chapter 16. The disciples are like, man, don't leave us. We don't want you to go, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yo, listen up. It's better if I go. It says this, but very truly I tell you, it is good, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, Jesus is like, it's good. Disciples, followers of me that are seeing me in person, he's saying, listen, it's good that I go. Like you've been living around the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's been inside of me. That's what Jesus is saying. But now it's even better because the Holy Spirit's gonna live in you. You're gonna have that same power. You're gonna have that same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, proving that he was God is the same power that he's gonna give to you and I to live inside of us, to teach us, to comfort us, to educate us, to convict us and rebuke us from sin. That's what is coming in the Holy Spirit if we will just accept it and repent and turn from our sin. Now there's, there's something cool about, well, when Jesus you know, uh, leveraged the Holy Spirit or did these miracles and these walls, and these wonders, he, had, he didn't have a sin nature. So he didn't have a sin nature. So therefore, everything that he did was perfect. And we had no doubt it was absolutely the work of God. And so for you and I, it gets a little bit confusing because we were born with a sin nature. Ever since the fall of humanity, Adam and Eve in the garden, every human being is born into the sinful nature that we all have. And what happens when we have the Holy Spirit and we want to tune into the Holy Spirit, it, sometimes we can get confused on whether or not, is that really the, the prompting of God and the Holy Spirit? Or is that just my fleshly desire, like misinforming me and manipulating me? What's actually going on? What's actually going on here? Like sometimes we can get confused. Some other dangerous things that we maybe get into is that we try to manipulate or use the Holy Spirit to further our will, our agenda on our timeline. And that's not what the Holy Spirit came for. That's not what his purpose is. You see, we think a lot of times that it's a power source that if we can just plug into, we can unlock this like crazy power, have this paradise on earth, every prayer, every healing, every sickness, everything will just be perfect. And I can leverage that for my own benefit. And that's not what the Holy Spirit's purpose is and role is for you and for I. 
But some people manipulate that and get confused and misled by their fleshly desires. Here's what the Holy Spirit's purpose is. To fulfill God's will on God's timeline. The Holy Spirit is here to fulfill God's will and God's timeline, on God's timeline in your life. And so we have to be very careful that when we, we accept the Holy Spirit, we get the Holy Spirit, when we confess our sin and put our faith in Christ, that's, what, that's the offer, that's the gift that he wants to give us. But be careful that our flesh doesn't manipulate or misinform or misguide us and we falsely justify things as the Holy Spirit when really it's just our flesh. And understand the Holy Spirit's role is to complete God's will, to fulfill God's plan, God's will on his timeline in your life. The Holy Spirit manifested in Christ in this moment. It's beautiful. It's amazing preparing him to do the ministry that God, to fulfill the will and the plan of God on God's timeline. And the same thing is true for us with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is showing us that and showing us his humanity in that moment. The third thing significant that happened is that Jesus is tested uh, by Satan. He's tempted by Satan. And it says this in verse 12, at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Like immediately after he got baptized, he's still wet. (laughs) He didn't have a chance to dry off. The spirit leads him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. You see, Jesus gets sent out into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And Jesus is going to pass the test that Adam failed. Jesus is gonna pass the test. Jesus is gonna be tempted in every way, just like humanity is, every single human being is. But the best part is that Jesus is not gonna give in to that temptation. He's not going to sin. He's going to be able to overcome it. He's going to be able to have the full human experience being tempted, but not sin, which then makes him still the only qualified candidate to be the sacrifice for humanity, the sacrifice for you and for me, the payment for our sins. In order for Jesus to be that candidate, he had to live a full human experience and being tempted in every way is part of being a human. And Jesus was not exempt from that. He went through that. And he went through that in the desert with Satan for 40 days. In Hebrews 2 and in Hebrews 4. So if you wanna write these down, Hebrews 2, 17, Hebrews 4, 15. Or if you wanna to flip to Hebrews, you can do that. It's, it's a little farther to the right in your New Testament. You'll see in Hebrews 2, it says this, verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Jesus had to be made like you and me in every way, fully human. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of God, uh, sins of the people. The only way Jesus can actually take your place is if he's actually made like you, fully human. Then he's the substitute for you. And then in verse or, uh, Hebrews 4.15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but, he, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet, this is huge, he did not sin. So the reason the Spirit leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted for 40 days is so that he can empathize with you and me. He can connect with us on our humanity that we have that sinful temptation that comes. And Jesus was tempted just like a human would be tempted because he was fully human. And he passed the test. He did not sin. He did not fail. So he could remain sinless, perfect, blameless before God as a human so that he could then take your place on 
the cross. This is why the Spirit led him out to be tempted, to show off his humanity, to connect and empathize with you and I as sinners. And Jesus is saying, I know what you're going through. I get it. I've been there and I've passed the test and I'm calling you to fight with everything inside of you to flee from sin and not engage with it so that you can be more like me, Jesus. And I think there's three things in the desert, three ways that Jesus was tempted in the desert that all of us are tempted with us. And if you wanna read Jesus in the desert for 40 days and every, all the temptations that he experienced, it's in Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11. Write that down in your journal, Matthew four, one through 11. And you can read all of this, but I'm gonna paraphrase it. The three temptations that Jesus faced that I think we all face. And the first one is this, who will you trust in a crisis? We have this temptation of who are we going to trust in a crisis? Jesus fasted for 40 days while he was in the desert. And if you know anything about fasting or if you've read or researched fasting, you'll know that when you start a 40 day no food fast, you're hungry for the first little bit. And then it kind of goes away and you hit stride and you're, and you're okay for a while. But then towards the end, when that hunger desire comes back, it's like critical time. Like you need to eat. You're, like your body's starting to shut down. You might be getting delusional and seeing like mirages of food and stuff. It's serious. And so the devil shows up, Satan shows up when Jesus is in this weakness, this time of, of fasting. And, Jesus, or, and Satan says to Jesus, I know you're hungry. Take these stones right here and just turn them into bread and eat and satisfy that. I know you're in a crisis, man. Just take control. You know what Jesus says to Satan? He says, no, the word of God, Okay, God says that man should not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus claps back at him with some scripture and says, no, Satan, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna trust his word. I'm gonna trust his promises. When that crisis comes, Jesus had the temptation to wanna take back control, make the decision for himself and take maybe the easy road out. And so who will you trust in a crisis? Will you follow the model of Jesus and trust God and his word and his promises? The Bible also tells us to lean not on your own understanding. Don't trust your own brain or your own thoughts, or your own actions. Trust God and what he has to say about it. Jesus was tempted in that way, just like you and I are tempted that way. Who will we trust in a crisis? The second temptation Jesus faced was, what will we do to speed up the process? What we do to speed up the process. Like when things are going hard or things aren't going the way we want them to go or, or we have a vision of what we're supposed to live like, what our life's supposed to look like and we wanna get there and we feel like God's leading us there but it's not happening fast enough. We wanna take things into our own hands and speed up the process. And Jesus was tempted this way too. You see, Satan takes Jesus up on, onto the temple in the center of the town where all the people are. And he says, Jesus, just jump off. Jump off right here. God's angels will come and catch you. Everyone will see this happen and know that you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, nope, I'm gonna trust God's timeline. It is not yet the time for people to know that I am the Messiah. It's gonna happen. That's God's promise. That's God's plan. That's God's will. I know that. Jesus is saying, I know that, but we're not gonna do it early. We're not going to speed up the process, we're gonna be patient and we're gonna wait for God's timing because you know what? The Holy Spirit is here to fulfill God's will on God's time. And Jesus is leaning into that. I know God's plan and I'm gonna to stick to God's timeline. And we're tempted 
to want to speed up the process. Cut the corners, take the shortcuts, take the easy road out, take back control to speed up the process because we think God's being too slow. We're faced with temptations that way. The third temptation is what will we do to avoid pain? What will we do to avoid pain? You know, Satan is the ruler of the earth. After the fall of man, Adam and Eve, God gives Satan the keys to the world. He's the ruler of the world. And Jesus has a promise for his life that one day Jesus will rule and reign at the right hand of God and be king of the earth. Jesus knows that's the vision, that's the plan, that's the, that's the will of God for his life. And so Satan takes him up on a mountain and says, look at the known world, look at all this. And Satan's like, I'm in control of this, but Jesus, if you just bow down to me and worship me, I'll give you kingship over this world now. And you know what he was tempting Jesus with? Jesus, he's saying to Jesus, you don't have to go through the brutal whipping and the brutal crucifixion and all of the pain that that's going to have on your life in order to be king. I'll give it to you now. And Jesus is like, no, I I understand Satan. You're tempting me to want to be king and fulfill the God's will in my life now, but I'm not going to take the shortcut. I'm not going to avoid the pain and the process that God has for me. I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna trust God. And so Jesus would trust God and go through the pain, go through the beating, go through the crucifixion of being hung on the cross for the payment of your sin so that Jesus could fulfill his purpose and then sit at the right hand of God and rule over this earth. He didn't wanna take a shortcut and we'll be tempted a lot of times to have ungodly shortcuts. We'll try to accelerate the process. We won't trust God in the crisis. And then we'll try to avoid pain at all costs and sacrifice our integrity before God and our righteousness before God and and maybe do the wrong thing in order to ease the pain of what God's will and what he's calling us to. You see, Jesus had to be tempted in these ways to prove his humanity to us, to justify him as the only qualified person who passed the test and remained sinless so he could take your place. And in his weakness, in Jesus' weakness of fasting and in that weakness, He did not fall, he stayed strong. And that's the model for you and I. And we have to fight those temptations. And that leads me to the three life lessons that I wanna pull out of this real quickly. That even we talked about these three significant things of Jesus, these three significant events in Jesus's life that show us his humanity, that let us see who he is and that he's fully human, lived a fully human experience and modeled the way of what it looks like to be obedient and follow God's plan. But even if we didn't do that, I wanna see three things that we can take out of these five verses. And the first one is this. It is not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to sin. If it was a sin to be tempted, Jesus would have sinned because it just told us he was tested in the desert. He was tempted in the desert by Satan. So it's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to sin. And a lot of times what happens is we think that we've fallen in our brain because we had a thought or we've already messed up or it's already too far gone. So we just go with it anyway. And that's a lie. Just because you were tempted or just because you had that thought or just because you had that internal desire that's wrong doesn't mean you committed the sin. It's when you commit the sin, it's a sin. And so understand that temptation, we have to flee from it. We have to get away from it. And here's two types of temptation I think we deal with. One is an internal temptation, this kind of fleshly desire. And it's unique to all of us. We all have our own vice, so to speak. 
And whether that's looking at women lustfully or pornography, whether that's you gathering around the water cooler at work and gossiping about people, maybe that's just gossiping in general, talking negative and bad and spreading things that you shouldn't spread to other people. Maybe, maybe yours is lying and, and not being honest or being deceptive or, or being obsessive about your image in a way in which is unhealthy. Like whatever that vice is for you, it comes from your fleshly desires and the scripture tells us flee from it, run from it as fast as you can. Put on your track shoes and sprint (laughs) as fast as you can. But you know what we do? We don't follow the vice of scripture. What we do is we draw a line and we say, I know it's wrong to cross the line, but I'm gonna get as close to the line as I possibly can. I'm gonna tiptoe the line. And here's what happens when you tiptoe the line and you, and, you, and you dangle that temptation in front of you too long. You're gonna fall over the line every time. And so stop drawing a line. Stop trying to make a justification of I can be strong, I can do this. If you're married, stop flirting with those girls. If you're a gossiper, stop giving the lowdown and the scoop with everybody. Bite your tongue and fight the urge to wanna speak it. If you're a liar, man, man up and start, start being a, uh, a man of or a man or woman of integrity and and share the truth. Quit drawing a line, and but run from the line. And Second Corinthians, Paul gives us a great example of how to fight this. He says, "Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every tempted thought, every temptation, every desire that comes up in our brain, fight it with making it obedient to Christ. Don't give in to it. Run from it. Surrender it to God, His will, His prompting of the Holy Spirit." His word, run from it. It's not a sin to be tempted, it's a sin to sin. The second life lesson is sometimes the center of God's will is in the middle of a storm. The center of God's will is sometime in the middle of a storm. Think about Jesus for a minute. He was obedient to God. He didn't have to get baptized, but he was obedient to God and got baptized to fulfill all righteousness. We see this beautiful moment where God opens up heaven and speaks to Jesus and says, you are my son whom I love. I'm well pleased with you. He's got God's approval, double thumbs up, God's favor on his life. He has the spirit of God manifesting in him and leading him. He's living a spirit led life following God's plan and will. And you know where all that leads Jesus? In the middle of the desert, hungry and being tempted by Satan. A desert experience that I'm sure wasn't fun. It wasn't sunshine and roses and beautiful. It was a storm, the middle of a storm. But that was in the center of God's will and God's plan for Jesus. And the same thing is true for you and I and our humanity is that inside God's will, the center of God's will may just put you in a storm. Not always, but may just put you in the middle of a storm. And here's what I know about storms and seasons and desert experiences is you have to go through those for God to show you something, to teach you something and strengthen your faith. He might be preparing you for something that's coming in the future that's inside his will that he needs you to accomplish. And there's only, in, that, in that experience, in that storm, God's gonna teach you something that he can only teach you in that storm. He's working something good in that. Even though you can't see it, he's working something good in it. And think about it. Jesus went from this mountaintop experience of baptism, hearing God say, I love you, double thumbs up, and the Holy Spirit manifesting and he's being led by the Spirit. He's on this mountaintop, learning so much about God and his life and his faith. And then he enters right into a valley to learn something about his life, about God and about his faith. And guess what? You'll read the life of Jesus. You'll see some mountaintop experiences and valley experiences. And you and I have the same thing. 
and we can only learn stuff in the valley in, in, or only learn stuff in the mountaintop in the mountaintop and only learn stuff about ourselves in the valley in the valley. And that's part of our faith journey. And the center of God's will sometimes is in the middle of a storm and a desert experience. And the last thing is a blessed life is not necessarily an easy life. A blessed life is not necessarily an easy life. Like when Jesus calls us, the life that Jesus is calling us to isn't necessarily gonna be easy, but it's gonna be blessed. And a blessed life is not necessarily an easy one. Look at Jesus and we're gonna follow his life and you're gonna see Jesus was blessed, God's favor. He was obedient. He was filled with the spirit, living his best life and, and fulfilling God's plan for his life. But it was not an easy one. And there are so many other characters that we can study in the Bible and see this to be true. You can talk to so many Christ followers and hear their story and hear their testimony and know. And they'll share with you and say, yeah, my life has been blessed. God's been with me. But that's not meaning it was all sunshine and roses and easy. It's gonna be hard. There's gonna be pain. There's gonna be struggle. There's gonna be storms. But you will have a blessed life. And just because it's a blessed life doesn't mean it's always an easy life. And so today I hope that we've seen the humanity of Jesus, that he came and he was obedient. He got baptized. The Holy Spirit manifested on him and prepared him to do his ministry. He was tempted and did not fail. He remained the perfect, blameless, sinless, only qualified human, because he was fully human, to take your place on the cross to pay the penalty of sin that we all deserve. And then we see that, man, in a crisis, we gotta trust him and trust his word. And when things aren't going our way, we're in the middle of a storm, we gotta rest and trust that it's, in, it's God's plan, it's God's purpose, he's doing something good. And know that your life is gonna be blessed and God's gonna be with you. And that's not always gonna mean that it's sunshine and roses and easy. So let's remember these this week as we continue to study the book of Mark, I pray. Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you so much for Jesus, for his life, for his humanity, that we got to see his full human experience today. And I pray that we would begin to, to connect with Jesus and he's gonna empathize and connect with us and relate to us. And, and God, I pray that all of us would begin to invite Jesus in because Jesus is there knocking saying, hey, I wanna do this life with you. You don't have to navigate this alone. I've been there, I've done that. I wanna come alongside you. I wanna help you. I wanna comfort you. And I pray that we would be open to that and we would receive that. And Jesus, you would, you would empathize and connect with us and you would guide us and lead us and empower us and, and, and keep us in the center of your will and the center of your plan. And we would feel that peace and we would experience that joy and we would rest in you and we would grow to know you and love you and connect with you deeper and more this week. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.